Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. This show is all about the world of arena first-person shooters, classic FPS games, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. These are the players, the developers, the streamers, the influencers. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together in her cathedral to frag and give one another into oblivion for all eternity. This weekend, Friday, October 18th and Saturday, October 19th, we are putting on one hell of an event for you guys. It's going to be the Pigeon Classic 2019, our annual FPS charity event. And we've got quite a few awesome events for you guys to enjoy. So please come check out the stream and all that stuff. Just a brief overview of the event for you. So... Friday night, we got Doom Survival on Everternity. This will be hosted by the U.S. Quake community, and it's going to be kick-ass. That is Friday, October 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to check in. If you want to play, feel free to. If you just want to watch or just donate, that's all good. Then Saturday morning, uh, October 19th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Quake World Manifest Destiny number 2, and we're putting on the rematch of the century for you guys. It's Loctar versus BPS, the rematch from QHLAN 2019, and it's going to be epic. Best of seven maps, uh, two incredible players and great guys, so I can't wait to see them in action, and I can't wait for you to see that too. And then lastly, we'll have the Warfork King of the Keep tournament. This will be Saturday, October 19th again at 7 p.m. Eastern. The signups will remain open until I can't take it anymore. All of these events are just a dollar to get in. That's the Doom and the Warfork. Obviously, the Quake one is invitational. So, sorry you can't play in that against Loctar or BPS unless they just want you to. But, either way, it'll be kick-ass. It'll be fun. Please come show your support. All proceeds for this event will go towards the Egyptian Cure Bank and support the people like our good friend Suplex uh, out there you know, suffering from diseases that we can't even imagine happening. So, please come show your support. We love you, and I hope you have a great time at the event. Now... This is actually a pretty long interview, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking. I just want to say that Milton is objectively definitely one of the greatest Quake players ever of all time. He's incredible. He's amazing. He's such an interesting, soft-spoken guy, very analytical, very, uh, you know, sort of introverted and very, uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. He's just interesting and he looks at the game in a way that obviously none of the rest of us can even imagine seeing it it's just incredible the uh depth that this guy has in his thinking of the way that he plays quake so i don't have anything else to say about it man let's just get in the keep with milton hello everyone milton here uh, somewhat okay Quake mode player for the last 20 years. And here we are with uh, Mr. Motherload having a little chat. So I guess the big thing that has to be addressed in the room is you, you say pretty okay Quake player. I think just looking through the records, man, I think you're objectively the best Quake world player. I uh, don't know if you want to say that outright, but that's up to you. There's no one in Quake World that has as many number ones as you do, period, at all, ever. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> it's kind of difficult to compare myself to the 
very old school players that mm. played kind of I can't say that they played that much before me, but before I got better. I started when I was 11 years old and to be fair, I didn't have a very good computer and I was playing with a modem as well. And I got only better after like maybe five years of playing. So there were people played better than I did back in the 90s and early 2000s. So it's really hard to compare like my achievements that I have achieved after them to what they achieved before I got better. So it's, I can't claim to be the best ever, but I guess I'm amongst the best at least. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, could Kobe Bryant or somebody or LeBron James, could they compete with Michael Jordan? Like we'll never really know because we'll never see yeah. them at their prime. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's it. it it's kind of, I, I guess the ultimate true answer would probably be if they could compete at this level, then they would. Or, you know, it, the game has evolved since then. That's kind of a way to think about it, you know. So, like, the top players today are probably, if you took them in a, in a time machine and went back to, like, I don't know, 2001, just dropped them in there with the top players at that time, they, the top players at that time probably wouldn't be able to compete. You, yeah, yeah, that that yeah. that is very true, but it's hard to say how much those old school players could have achieved if they had played these yes. last twenty years. Uh, obviously, but we will never know. Mm. So, where did it all begin for you, man? Where were you born at? Um, born in Finland, in a small town near Lahti, a very rural village. I was living there for the first 19 years of my life between like forests and fields. But luckily we had a really good internet connection like from the, let's say, early 2000s. We were able to get first ISDN and then a really good ADSL. So for Quake, it was perfect. Playing night and day, mostly night. But there I was living for the first 19 years. Then moved to another Finnish city to study, finished my studies, lived in Switzerland for a while, then in Romania for a year and a half, and I went back in Finland again. Your parents were cool with this? They were like, yeah, just go ahead and play all the video games you want, stay up all night? Um, Not really. <laughs> like, I'm still kind of old school enough or old enough when I'm from the generation which kind of started to play video games more and more. So my parents really didn't understand games at all and didn't understand that there could be anything kind of productive or interesting or useful in games. For for especially my father, it was just a waste of time. I was living with my father mostly. My mother lived in another city. Mm -hmm. So there were struggles for sure. Um, but luckily, nothing major, so I was able to continue playing almost as much as I liked. But you... it, it, it's not like they were very supportive, especially my father. My mother, maybe more so, but because she wasn't around that much, yeah. so I, I can't really tell. How do they feel now? Well, I'm 34, so I guess my father still thinks that it's kind of, Childish, 
But I, I think he has started to realize now that games are maybe not just games for children, you know? Yeah. When I've been telling, and he has been even seeing some, let's say, Counter-Strike tournaments on TV, and he sees that they earn shitloads of money. So that makes it somehow real for him as well. I mean, for me, it has never been about money, of course, because I'm a Quakeville player. There's not much money there. Uh, not that I wouldn't like to get the, get money for playing, but anyway, I've been playing games because I just love the competition and especially love Quake World because it's such a good game. But for many people, it seems, especially people who are not gamers, they only start to respect games and gamers when they realize that there is money in it. Somehow the money there like gives games some kind of value of credit or credibility, if you will. Yeah. Now, if you were like a professional, uh, I don't know, soccer player or something like along those lines, I'm sure it'd be different uh, perspective. It's just kind of, it's a new thing. It's still, I mean, yeah, esports have been around for, you know, 20, 25 years, but it's still a brand new concept in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you think about soccer, for example, the biggest mm-hmm. sports in the world, it's just another game. Yeah. Like you have 11 guys on the field running after a ball. Just another game, in my opinion. Not an electronic one, but a game nevertheless. Yeah. I talked to Devastation. He was kind of, because he's a chess player as well. And we talked a little bit about how like, if you're a chess player, if you if you were telling your dad, like, I'm a professional chess player, people all around the world respect me as this intellectual. I don't see any difference between Quake and that. Yeah. There are different games for sure, but yeah, on a higher level, I, I totally agree. Yeah, and chess players are very highly regarded. Mm-hmm. And I guess we will get there in in a decade or two or five. I don't know how long it will take, but I, I'm sure we will get there. Probably sooner than later, because the young generation that we have now, they have grown with the internet. They they don't remember or know the time before the internet or before esports was this big. And I think it will just grow bigger and bigger all the time. So for them, I think it will already be very natural and for their children as well. Oh, and it also depends on like where you live too. I mean, if you grew up in like yeah, you and absolutely. I both grew up in a rural area, like my, my dad likes video games. Like I played, Duke Nukem and shit like that with him as a kid, but we never, he, I mean, esports is a kind of a new concept to him, but he kind of gets yeah. a little bit of it. My mother just, she'll love me no matter what. <laughs> That's just kind of how mothers yeah. are supposed to be, I hope. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my mother is the same way. Like she has never judged my hobbies in yeah. any way. Not like my father has, I guess my father has been trying to push me in some direction that in his opinion would have been more useful but here we are making a living anyway well what you're doing playing games um i'm a computer scientist programmer so first of all that's one of the most highly profitable fields in the world and second of all yeah at the moment it's good maybe if he saw like the the joy that you bring people like me and you know other other people in the quake community like that he would understand a little better or if he could feel that you know uh, because it's so 
such an inspiration to see people like you, like get players on your level, keep everyone else motivated. Like people take time off work to watch you play or like I got in trouble yesterday at work for having your, you on the big screen, like watching you play. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's not your fault, uh, dude. It's just, I, I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to get all the matches in and, you know, kind of see what I'm getting myself into. I, I feel like it's my duty as an interviewer to really try to understand um strategies yeah, well, that's good to hear that you have been putting in the effort but uh and it's really good to hear that people are enjoying what they are seeing yeah i mean that is uh, for me the biggest motivation has always been the competition i think because i i remember like since the very late 90s early 2000s like i just hated losing i still do uh but like that was the biggest driver for me for playing just to not lose to be better whenever i saw someone whom i like if i had thought about it objectively somehow if i had been able to i would have realized that they are better but i just didn't want to admit it to myself and just like we're practicing 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 all the time to get better to be able to just beat them all at first, it was about just a single map. I was playing DM4, mm -hmm. mainly. I was playing, first of all, one-on-one -on -one because I had a really bad computer. or It wasn't horrible. People had worse, but people had a lot better as well. And I felt like I couldn't compete so well uh, in 4 and 4 and especially Team Fortress was a big thing back then. But it was played in 8 versus 8 games, even. And both my internet connection and my computer weren't able to handle it. So I just started to specialize in one-on-one. -on -one. And I picked one map, which was DM4. And I played basically only DM4. And just tried to get better there until I was able to beat most players. And then from there, I started to develop first other one-on-one -on -one maps, moved on to Back then, they were the new Kenya maps, Aerowalk and ZTN DM3. And of course, DM6 and DM2. And then slowly, two on two, some four and four. And then finally, I made my way to quite an okay Finnish clan. Uh, another, a lot better Finnish player back then saw some potential in me, took me in, in the clan. And then there I learned everything or well not everything but like the fundamentals of four and four and i just fell in love with it and that's what i still love to do four and four is where it's where quake world is at its best so watching through the four v fours from just like this past month uh, at qh land 2019 you're i mean you guys ultimately won which was epic but see i really struggle team modes in quake world really bother me as opposed to the newer games like quake champions quake live quake 3 where it's a little bit more um designed for that i guess so when i watch you guys play it seems to be a lot of uh item control for maybe you uh, essentially it comes down to like give milton everything and let him run through there that's the the perception that a lot of people get so what would you say the 4v4 i don't know strategy actually is behind the scenes that we're not seeing um 
Well, the four and four games you saw that were played at QH land, it was a draft tournament mm-hmm. where you don't have these established clans with established strategies playing together. Uh, so there it is a bit more like a mixed game. Of course, you are all at the same venue, you are all in voice, but you have kind of players from almost like every skill category. You have one, the captain, in this case, perhaps the best player, then slowly going lower and lower, like your first pick being a bit worse, then the third pick even a bit worse, and then the last last pick. In in my case, I actually got two picks. I had five players in my team, maybe, maybe even worse than that. So there it can be like a bit, Perhaps a bit like you said, just give Milton everything. I'm not saying that I can carry the whole team and everyone should give me all the stuff all the time, but there tends to be such a huge diff- like gap in skill between the cap and the last pick that in some situations it actually can make sense to give the better player the all the stuff and hope he can manage it. Yeah. But in 4 and 4 in general, when really good clans are playing together. Yes, it is about item control. That is super crucial in Quake World. Um, But instead of giving one player all the stuff all the time, you as a team try to establish that map control and through that map control you try to take as many items as you can, especially quads that spawn every minute and armors are super important. But then what perhaps many Quake Live, Quake Champions players, Quake 3 players don't understand is that weapon control is perhaps the biggest thing of all in Quake World 4 and 4. I mean, all all the things I said before, armor control, power-up control, they, they matter. But what is the biggest thing is just to try to keep your opponent from getting powerful weapons, which of there are two in Quake World being Rocket Launcher, the most powerful, and LG, a very powerful weapon as well. So if you can prevent your enemy from running around with those weapons, things are going really smoothly for you. Even if they can steal a quad here and there or take red and yellow armors, it doesn't ultimately matter if you can keep them away from getting weapons. That is that is what matters in Quake. And uh, and when I say Quake, it's always Quake World for me. If, yeah. if I if I'm in Quake Champions or Quake Three, then I will say Quake Three or Quake Champions or Quake yeah, Live. Yeah. For me, Quake is Quake World and nothing else. Uh, where did I stop? Um, so you're kind of going on about. Um how item control and especially weapon control is kind of the key factor. And yeah, that that's actually pretty interesting. And, and from my perspective, it seems like, so in, for instance, on DM2, right? Uh, you have eight players on the yeah. map and basically one rocket launcher and where's the LG? That's <laughs> so ha- it seems like as soon as you get that rocket launcher, you have complete control and you can sit there and kind of hold people from ever getting it again. Uh, in an ideal situation. So what are kind of yeah. what are the ways of taking back 
weapon control that seems nearly impossible to most new players. Well, it's interesting that you started to talk about DM2 because you are absolutely right. It is yeah. the map where it is the most difficult to get gain back any kind of control and it is the easiest to control. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy, but it is the easiest because the basic weapon you spawn with shotgun is quite weak, deals 24 damage maximum if you hit it perfectly, which is not very difficult, but anyway, it is 24 against players who quite often have quite huge stacks in DM2. There is a lot of armor, quite a lot of health available in DM2. There is no LG, and both of the rocket launchers are quite easy to control. So when you have four players, no weapons, not many armors available for you when you spawn, and you are facing players with stacks between like 200, 300, even 400 quite often. So it is very difficult to kill those opponents. But it is doable. But it's just there, actually, you can see the difference between good established clans versus mixed teams. Because there you have to actually work together towards that goal. You have to decide where you attack and probably also when you want to attack and in which way. Like, you should first of all try to uh, figure out when the weapons are spawning. They spawn every 30 seconds. So you should be, like, observing your opponent, try to pay attention when they are picking up the weapon, especially low rocket in DM2, and then perhaps decide as a team to go for the next one. So after 30 seconds, everyone should be there at low rocket pushing that guy because usually there is that only one guy holding low rocket. And then if you push there with four SG guys, perhaps one or two of them with yellow armor that you can get from mid, uh, you might get the low rocket. You might kill the guy trying to hold the low rocket. And maybe that guy will even drop you a pack, which is very crucial in Quake World. I mean, if you are the one holding the weapon, you should always avoid or almost always avoid dropping the pack which means that um if you die when you are when you have chest shot or well basically if you are if you have chest shot with any weapon and like within the next like half a second or no it depends on the reload time of the weapon but anyway like if you sh uh, kill a player within the reload time of a weapon that weapon that he last shot will be dropped. Otherwise, he has switched back to either SG or Axe, and he won't drop a backpack, and you won't get his weapon. You will only get the ammunition. So if you manage to do that at low rocket, you might get one rocket if you pick up the rocket, and you might even get the second rocket if, if the guy holding the low rocket will drop a pack. Mm -hmm. So that is the most common way to try to get back that weapon or some part of map control in DM2. It is difficult. It is very difficult. and It might never work against a good clan. I mean, it, when I say never, I meant like within a single map, within the 20 minutes. Right. You, I have seen many, many a game in DM2 where the score is like 450, which is super ugly and Perhaps the team, the losing team didn't give up, 
gave it all, but just the other team played so well, didn't miss many rockets at low, didn't like uh, do any self damage there with the rocket, and just got help from the quad that is coming once a minute. So for every second rocket, the quad can be there at low, helping the low rocket guy. So it can be a super brutal map, and that is Quake World for you. It is brutal. It's it's not like Quake Live or well, I'm not so familiar with four and four in Quake Three, but at least in Quake Live, it's unless the opposing team is super weak, you will always end up dying. Like you, the better team will win, but it's just very very difficult in Quake Live to survive for a very long time. In Quake World, you can sometimes see 100% efficiencies, at least especially in DM3. It's it's not easy, it's not common, but it does happen. So it means that you never die, or like within the round you didn't die a single time. And it is just the brutal nature of Quake World, and especially four and four. It is it is a difficult game mode, but it's it can be super rewarding as well when you master it. That's another thing that you brought up is the, the time limit. Uh, whereas in Quake, Quake World, you guys play 20-minute matches sometimes. And mo- mm-hmm. most of like younger, more mo- like modern Quake players, they are not able to hack that. Like 10 minutes, 15 max. Like that's And that by, by the time I play a 15-minute match, I'm like exhausted. I need to take a break. And you guys are doing 20-minute matches sometimes four or five in a row. And that that's a totally different type of, uh, I guess, process of thinking. You, you add another, you know, five or ten minutes to what you're used to, and then all of a sudden the the entire dynamic of the game can change because you have to change your pacing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, yeah. especially well, DM two is a good example because if uh, you have the twenty minutes at your disposal and. Sometimes it happens. I, I don't. I can't say that quite often, but sometimes it happens that one team is it gets a really good start and is absolutely destroying the other team, leading by, let's say, hundred frags. But, uh, by the way, typical scores in DM2 are like, I would say that typically you get around four hundred maps, uh, four hundred frags in DM2 in in twenty minutes in four and four. It can be lower, it can be higher, but and I don't have any statistics here. I'm just pulling this out of my ear. But like 400 frags could be kind of average result, like 400 total frags. So it can happen, and sometimes happens that one team will get a lead of 100 frags. Let's say within even the first five minutes, if they get a really good start, we speak of full starts when you get both rockets and the quad. And if you play it well, you survive with both of those rockets, you can get the next two rockets as well. And then you have four rockets in your team and the opposing team doesn't have any rockets. And if they survive with those four rockets for some time, then you can gain that lead of 100 frags in five minutes. But then, if the opposing team manages to get back the map, it can happen that they lead by let's say those 100 frags when 5 minutes are left and they start like slowing down the game they lose a couple of rockets, they try to slow down the game, then 
the opposing team gets a good quad run, gets rid of the uh, two remaining rockets, and they gain control of the map. And the leading team might think that now they can just stop playing, like almost stop playing. It's called slow spawning, when you just wait for the force respawn timer to force you to respawn every five seconds after you die. And they might think that they can just win the game by doing that. And if they are not instantly spawn spawn fragged, then they will hide somewhere. So they hoping that they won't be found. But quite often it backfires heavily. In DM2, I have seen unbelievable comebacks of like easily 100 frags in five minutes. It can be even faster. The fastest rate that I have seen in actual like official game has been uh, 40 frags a minute for two minutes. So 80 frags in two minutes when you have total control of the map and you're kind of risking losing the control, but you know that you have to take the risks. So it's just amazing to see how uh, a game that has looked very one-sided and the other team already thought that they kind of had in the bag, but then they end up losing it because they didn't quite make it across the finish line. That's absolutely true, Uh, especially Quake World of, of all other things, because the scores are so astronomically high. A lot of people uh, spectating that are kind of new or have, have never seen the game before and they see the scores of like, you know, 100 to 300 and like, well, there's no possibility. Like, this is a absolute smash. But it, honestly, yeah, like, it's not necessarily yeah. so, yeah. At the high levels, I try to think of like 100 frags is like one frag in Quake Live, basically. They're almost equivalent. <laughs> like, you could see. Well, a, maybe not quite, but yeah. yeah. Or 50 frags or whatever. Saying. You could see duels that, you know, end in. I don't know, scores of five to three. It's not uncommon. And then you could see yeah. a Quake World match where the score is something more akin to 500 to 300. And like, okay, well, that's how it went. Uh, but it, yeah. they're basically the same type of match. Like They played about evenly in the same way. It just looks like a 200 frag difference, which it is, but it's just a way of thinking about it. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I was watching the interview of John Carmack in this. Mm-hmm. radio show what is the guy's name joe rogan experience yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it was really nice to hear that uh john carmack still remembers how quake world worked and still works when it was released he was talking about this as well uh where even the smallest skill gap in quake world can show itself with as a huge difference in tracks yeah because map control is Almost like every map and item control is almost like everything in Quake World, and spawn fragging is so easy. I mean, you you have to know what you're doing, but the stack and weapons you have when you spawn are super weak in Quake World. So if you just can't can't get hold of any stack or gain any kind of map control, it can be very brutal for you. And like you can be ten percent worse than your opponent, and you can lose by fifty frags. Yeah, it's happened to me every every time I've ever tried to play since I started. So no, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It is, uh, I'm happy you think so because you kind of have to have to enjoy losing for a while in Quake World, and like this 
you have to accept this feeling of helplessness. Like you, you just can't do anything, even if you know that you're, you're like getting better, but you just can't see it in the score in any way. The score just doesn't reflect you getting better in any way. It's just, it stays the same until you get like almost to the same level with your opponent. And then you start getting those frags. And when you get that first frag, there's the chance that you will get the spawn frag, especially if you know how to like use that situation to your advantage. Then then it starts getting easier. But it is a steep learning curve. With all the or I, I don't know Yeah, I don't know if the learning curve is any steeper than in Quake Live, for example. Mm-hmm. Just the game mechanisms are more brutal. It's a, such an unforgiving game. I think so. I've, I think you're probably right. It's like, like a different scale for like learning. It's just a, a matter of like uh, you're less likely to take frags and win with a skill gap. So, I mean, in in a lot of games, uh, like Warfort, Quick Live, things like that, I'll, I'll kind of have a different mindset of how I'm, I'm playing against an opponent who I know is better than me. So I'm just like, if I could just get, you know, one or two frags on this person, I'll feel good. I'll feel like I learned something. I feel like I've improved. Uh, as you yeah. said, in, in Quake World, that you don't really, don't expect too much. You're probably going to get frags anyway. I mean, I, I could probably conceivably maybe get a frag on like a U or a BPS or a Loctar through some freak rocket that I shot. But did I really learn anything from that? I would have to get like 10 frags to really feel like I actually did anything, maybe 20 to really feel like I did anything because you guys are just going to wreck me and run far faster, control spawns better, uh, far more used to the timing than I am, everything. Uh, yeah. Another part of it, it kind of comes by Quake 2 and Quake 1 are separate in their item timings than um, you know, Quake Live, Quake Champions, all that. It, people have a, have a real problem getting used to the you know normal 30-second or 25-second you know, like dependable spawns for mega health because in quake world you have to wait until someone drops below a hundred to go pick up the mega health again. And even then there's a timer on it. They probably know what yeah. it is and you don't, um, red yeah. armor, you know, that, but it's, it's a bit different and, uh, armor suits in quake world are percentage based differently as well. It's not like you can just keep stacking on more and more armor where, where you can in quake live. You have to consider, the percentage of your health that this armor will protect. It's more like putting on an armor suit that's better than a different armor suit than it is getting shards of armor and that that number is equivalent to how much armor you have. Yeah, yeah, that's true as well. So it's Green actually, armor being quite useless unless yeah. you get a mega health. I mean, well, it is not useless. You survive a rocket with a grain armor, whereas you wouldn't survive a rocket if you have 100 health. But to be able to utilize the whole green armor, you need a full mega health for it. Yeah. Yeah. It is very different. For a Quake 3 player, Quake Live player, initially it might feel like, okay, I have a decent stack when I have 100 green, 100 health. So he or she might think that here I have 200 stack, which mm-hmm. is not quite true. Yeah, it is, it is different. So- and... Uh, what you said about Quake Live one on one there, like that it would make you happy if you got a frag or two. It made me think about it, and I I agree with you. Like um, in Quake Three, Quake Live, it's 
kind of against a really good player, it is really, really difficult to get that one frag because weapons are relatively a lot weaker than in Quake World mm-hmm. and time to kill is a lot higher. So e- even if you manage to surprise your better opponent somehow, it's not guaranteed that you will get a frag because of the higher stack that your opponent has at that time. But in Quake World, uh, both or well, three weapons deal a shit ton of damage. Grenade launcher, super hard to hit though. Uh, then you have rocket launcher, which is quite fast. Rate of fire, 110 damage per uh, direct hit. And then you have LG, the best of them all, 300 DPS. So that 300 DPS, if you think about it, it takes a second to kill a guy with red armor and full health. So if you manage to surprise your opponent, knowing the huge splash damage rockets have in Quake World, uh, it's very possible that even this weaker player will get that one frag if he manages to surprise his opponent. Let's say you manage to sneak somehow behind your opponent, you hit eight cells, you have dealt what is eight times three, 240, 240 damage, and then your opponent has a rocket, he panics a bit, turns around, shoots at you, almost kills himself because he deals 50 damage, but 50 self damage because he's so close, and then you only need that one more cell, one more SG, even an axe will get you the kill. And then there's the lava that is super unforgiving as well, deals a lot of damage. It's quite often so deep that you can't get out without a rocket jump. Mm-hmm. So in that way, in Quake, well, like, it's not quite like Counter-Strike, where even a really weak player has this hope of get, getting that headshot with an AK, which is an insta-kill. It's not, that is not there in Quake, Bell, but, but there, there is still this kind of, not promise, but perhaps glimmer of hope that if I manage to hit these cells super well now, or if I manage to surprise my opponent, I might get this kill. And perhaps even a spawn frag or two. But in Quake Live, it can be super brutal. If Even if you manage to hit 100% LG for a while, it will probably not help you. Because your opponent will have the time to react to your surprise attack and still get the frag. No, so, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. It's, I really don't like comparing Counter-Strike to Quake because it's just like... Uh, they're not the same animal. They're both first-person no, shooters. No, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, but like the Quake is so completely unique in its in its own thing. It's weird to think that it they all kind of came from the same engine too. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and there used to be bunny hopping in Counter Strike. Yeah. So, yeah. or well, okay, there kind of still is, but it's super creepy. Yeah. But like the real bunny hopping used to be there in the earlier beta version. That's quite interesting. Yeah, it, Quake is kind of like living in a fantasy world, and Counter Strike is very based in reality. It tr- tries to be a simulation of what what this would actually be like as much as possible. Quake is like, yeah, kind of. Kind you're li- of. you're living in a an HP Lovecraft's demented idea of what <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't even know what's going on here. But it's, yeah, it's I, I guess no one knows. No. Well, the funny thing is that they were, like Quake was supposed to be this kind of medieval game mm. 
with dragons and whatnot. And then at the last minute, they they just said, no, oh, no, fuck these crossbows and axes and, well, axes still there, but swords and whatnot they were yeah. planning. And re- let's replace them with shotguns and lightning gun and rocket launchers. So now we have this crazy mishmash of kind of medieval environment or fantasy environment, and then you have modern wep- weaponry. Yeah. Or even, it, uh, it's kind of hard to call a lightning gun even a modern, like, lightning gun seems yeah, like well, the, something given yeah, to you by like a, by yeah, it's just wacky. Mm-hmm. So, so, do you have like a favorite map that you really really particularly feel like you're the master of? In four uh, favorite map in four and four. We well, can talk about all modes if you want, but well, four and four is fine, and we can talk about other modes yeah. as well. Um, like I, I like DM three a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I can't say that I'm that much better in DM three than the competition, but it is one of my favorites. Um, I think. Like out of the popular so-called TB3, the best three maps that have been the most popular four and four maps for over two decades. Um, I think in DM2, I'm uh, I'm the best compared to the competition. Mm. But I, I I like DM2 as well. I like them all, but DM2 is it's a good map, but somehow. Perhaps DM3, in a way, is my favorite out of those. Then if we go to custom maps, there are... I have always loved custom maps. Like As long as I remember, I have always liked the idea of learning new maps. Unfortunately, the Quake World scene is super conservative. And most of the players just hate learning new maps. Perhaps because they... Well, they... For years, they gave this excuse that they they don't have time to learn anything new anymore. They have families and whatnot. But the same players are still there playing like 15 years later. So I'm just not buying it. I mean, you you would have had those 15 years to learn a map. And learning a map really doesn't take that long. Given that I can learn a map a bit faster than most people, it seems. But still, I would argue that most people can learn a map pretty well like within an hour like you won't know all the details all the nuances and strategies but to be able to play and enjoy a map you don't need a year or two years of experience that like especially if it's a new map and your competition doesn't have the experience either then you are like on a level playing field and you can just work up from there. You you don't have to be right away as good in the new maps as you are in, in the maps that you have played for 15 or 20 years. But yeah, uh, to come back to your question, in custom maps, I love CMT4, which is one of the more popular custom 4 and 4 maps. Um, and I think I'm quite okay in CMT4. CMT1B is an excellent map that is not popular at all. So I haven't been really able to compare my skill level there as much as I have been 
especially in TB3 or even CMT4, because CMT1B, unfortunately, isn't that popular. And then there is another map from this same Finnish mapper, Saga, who made CMT1B called Sloss, which is this Nazi castle, just very unique Quake world map, very beautiful as well. It's this like a medieval citadel or castle and plays in a very unique way as well. Not only looks unique, but it has all, all kinds of neat tricks, doesn't have LG, has a bit more open areas and very interesting ways to move around. And it's actually been played now in the Get Quad Draft Tournament in Division 2. And I'm really enjoying it. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy playing it. I'm I'm happy to see that people are playing it. And I'm not the only one enjoying them. Uh, so that's about 4 and 4. Then in 2 on 2, I enjoy DM4. DM4 is a, an excellent 2 on 2 map. DM2 as well, it plays very differently from all the other 2 on 2 maps because yeah. it's kind of slower and more strategic than the other maps. DM4, for example, is very, very aim and movement heavy and boils down to very small details. In DM2, you have more like breathing room. You, you don't necessarily need that, uh, excellent mechanical skill, but as long as like as long as you know where to go when to go how to take the fights you want to take you can you can play really good dm2 already by that of course at the highest level you need good mechanical skills as well but you can do a lot more in dm2 than in other 2 and 2 maps just by playing well um city and dm3 is a nice spawn frag fest as well in two and mm. one on one. On the other hand, I don't play one on one nowadays anymore much. Sometimes with some friends, but mm. I started with four one on one. Like I told you, I played it a lot. I played it too much, and somewhere around two two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, I started to feel like I I had kind of mastered one-on-one when it came to the strategy and tactics like winning only winning against good opponents mostly boiled down to how good my aim felt that day like it never felt like i was being outplayed when it came to tactics and strategy if i lost it felt like i had messed up something while shooting, while moving, or the opponent shot or aimed or moved exceptionally well. But it just felt like there was nothing new to learn except for grinding the mechanical skills. So that was when I finally got really fed up with one-on-one and almost stopped playing it entirely. I have played, I think, one tournament in one-on-one since then, and sometimes with friends, but other than that, I'm not a big fan of one-on-one. But if I have to choose favorite maps, well, Seti and DM3, that's a beautiful map. Um, Also known as Blood Run. Mm -hmm. I guess Quake 3, Quake Live, Quake Champions players will know it 
better by that name. Um, then there is, again, by this Finnish mapper, actually two maps, Skull and uh, Doomed. They're okay, really I, nice. I've not played Doomed. i got to check that one out. Yeah, it's it's also a very special map because on every spawn, there's SNG. So every time you spawn, you basically spawn with SNG in your hand. It's not a very powerful weapon in Quakeville, but it's better than SG, especially in close quarters fights. So it's it is a special map map, and there are corridors connected by uh, windows through which you can shoot and see, but you can't move through them. Right. So it it has this interesting dynamic where you might see your opponent, but you can't necessarily hunt him down even if you deal a lot of damage so it is it is a special map just like sloss it is in four and four doomed plays very differently from other one-on-one maps in quakewell it must be i don't know i can't even imagine the feeling that you get where you feel like you've mastered duel to such a point that it bores you now <laughs> like that's kind of crazy most people like i don't think anyone other than maybe you maybe a I can't think of anyone else who would ever feel that way. Like you're kind of yeah. like, you're like the black belt master of Quake World at this point, where it's just like, eh, forget that. Like I need four, three other people on my team to uh, drag me down so I can feel like I'm competing. You know, <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, uh, what I said ap- applies only to one on one. Yeah, because four and four, in four and four, it's just feels like an, I can never reach that level. There are so many variables. It's so much more complex than one-on-one that I'm confident that I will never reach a level where I, I would be bored yeah. in 4 and 4 because it feels so easy, because it feels like I have seen every move and it feels like I at all times know what is going to happen. Whereas in one-on-one, Sure, I can't say that I always know what is going to happen, but it just very rarely gave me any surprises anymore. So, 4 and 4 just gave me that feeling that I had for years in 1 and 1 where I always have new things to learn. It always feels like I can do better, not only by having better LG efficiency or hitting amazing rockets or hitting every shotgun shot that I shoot, but just by like being able to track more things by just kind of you get all this information in 4 and 4, but I think the biggest difference between good good, uh, good and bad or good and great 4 and 4 players is the way they are able to process and utilize that information they are given. All the sounds, all the team play messages, all all the things that you hear in voice, that things your teammates are telling you, everything that you see, you just have to be or have to try to process that information and use it as well as possible. And that is a huge challenge. And it feels so good when you realize something that is going to happen. It almost feels like you know what is going to happen before 
oppo- your, b- before your opponent knows it. Like, let's say that you hear your enemy picking up rocket and jumping to water in DM3. And it takes like, it can take 20 seconds, even 30 seconds, depending on if they go for the mega health and wait for it at bend in DM3 to come through the three lifts that take you up and eventually lead to SNG. So you might be running around the map in the meanwhile, just remembering that rocket pickup, which you know that was enemy, maybe before because you saw it, or maybe because your teammate told you that it was an enemy rocket. And then you might be at red low in DM3, just shoot one quad rocket under the lifts and hit it perfectly when he falls down. It's just, it can feel so amazing. Your opponent had absolutely no idea, kind of, that he, he perhaps like subconsciously, like if he had thought about it, he could have said that, okay, I'm going to SNG now. But when he jumped to water from the rocket initially, he probably didn't think that far. But the player who heard the rocket pickup might have already realized that, okay, I will have. 15 seconds to jump around and then I will be under the lifts or I will be shooting under the lifts maybe from quite far away trying to get that frag and when it works out it just feels <coughs> sorry it just feels so good it's really interesting to see like the way that different top players especially in these draft tournaments like you guys did um lead different teams you know like I would like to have had the opportunity to listen to the comms of just like your callouts versus Blood Dog's callouts, and like how each player kind of received those um, the, the information. Because as you said, uh, processing it is a big is a big part of it. It could be, you know, some people have a, a tendency on on team chats to like react to everything that happens, or like, oh shit, uh, we don't need any of that. We just need you to tell us where they are and what they have or where they're going. And it, it I don't know. Team modes are yeah. very difficult. <laughs> They are very yeah. difficult, and yeah. voice communication is extremely difficult as well, yeah. and it takes time to get used to it, and I've noticed at least that uh, I get quite kind of rusty with it. If I haven't played with voice in a good team for a while, then it takes a while for me to get get going again. Like uh, Usually I'm able to say the things that I want to say, and hopefully not too much extra, but it can be very difficult to follow what other players are saying. And especially register and analyze, process that information that they are giving to you. Mm-hmm. That is what gets difficult when you don't have your groove. And it felt really amazing in TVS. It was a clan we had, the, the Viper Squad, Back in 2000, and, well, from 2006, I think I joined. No, I, I think I joined 2005, and I played with them till 2011 or 12. I don't remember exactly. It, it's an even older clan than that, but I played with them for seven years, and we had excellent voice communication. It felt so natural, so easy. Uh, we didn't have any unnecessary fights there in voice at least well we had two brothers there in in the clan they sometimes almost kind of wanted to start a fight but 
we tried to control them to I'll told them to fight after the game. But other than that, just the voice communication was excellent and it was yeah. just so so much fun to play when you had so much information and also when you knew the players, their tendencies, like where they which parts of the maps they like play at and how they tend tend to move and react to things. Uh, all th- all these things combined to the fact that people were also able to process the voice information that we were getting. It was it was quake magic. It, it just felt so good. It, it we were able to destroy really good clans just because we were playing so well together. Not necessarily because we were better individual players which we might have been against many opponents, but especially because of our great teamwork and just the synergy, just because of the fact that we played so much together. Yeah. That made the difference. Like, I think there is no shortcut unless, well, perhaps there are people who just kind of feel each other right away. But I think even even with people like that, you just have to play together to learn how your teammates play. Just like I said, I it felt like I knew how my teammates would react to things, which routes they take, wh- what do they do when I go to low rocket at, in DM2 with quad. I would remember that Xantom, one of my uh, Swedish teammates, would always have, have my back when I went to low rocket. I could just go all in. Usually yeah. it worked perfectly, but even if I messed something up, I knew that Xantom would be there to pick up the pieces and continue destroying there. And I could just spawn somewhere, go for the high rocket, and I would be stacked right away again. And we would have, again, four rocket launchers. It, it made playing so easy when I, when I had teammates that I, I could totally trust, whom I just knew how they played. It, the, having, having someone that you're really comfortable with, obviously, is a big deal. There's no, like, guide or accepted language for callouts at all like really it's kind of just people learn from watching other people do it and you you have similarities between different groups but realistically speaking there's no this is how it's done it'd be really cool to see like uh like who are the best team players like a like Cygib, you rafa uh maybe devastation people like you guys should just write a book uh, honestly like this is the language and this is how we're gonna say it we're gonna say I don't know, like hallway X, Y, or Z, or the, on this map, it's you say this item at this area, or they're going towards that area. There needs to be some sort of very easy to understand way for new players to pick that up. Otherwise, it's going to continue to just be team by team. How do we do it? Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I'm just not yeah. sure if you can kind of transfer that knowledge from one quake to another. Uh, because some somehow I feel that in like sure some fundamental things yeah. i'm sure you could but i think in uh quake world might differ from other games especially at least from quake live quake champions uh because it it just might be a bit too chaotic too yeah. fast compared to those games so i think all things that work in Quake World wouldn't necessarily work in other Quakes. 
Doom think, is quite fast, though. Yeah, I'd say Doom makes more sense. Like, I, I really yeah, feel like you could compare fast. compare the speed element of it. It's different, I, different items, but what what I talked about a little bit, uh, I can't remember. I think it was Devastation, but he was talking about in CTF, like in, in Doom. That was a big thing. Is like exactly how the callouts are going to be called. This is we are agreeing yeah. on this with his team, and he he actually he's written really cool guides, especially for uh, Duel things like that, but. It'd be cool to have that same sort of document for team play. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It Maybe. would be interesting to try and interesting to hear other really good foreign four players play mm. as well. Because I haven't been able to hear many of them. I have been able to play with some of them, but when you play in a mixed team, even with other really really good foreign four players. It's not quite the same because you don't have that synergy there. And perhaps people can feel a bit shy. Like they perhaps don't, they are not as relaxed as they would be with their own clans. So you, even if you play with them, you might not hear kind of the real way they usually play. Yeah. Ease 5000 wanted me to ask you, uh, why you did not play 1v1s at QH land. I think you've made that pretty clear. But then yeah. the, the addendum question was, Smango wants to know if it's because someone took your stapler. What does that mean? <laughs> I, didn't, stapler. I didn't think you would get that. Honestly, no, I don't. So there's this dumb movie. It's not really not, It's a good movie. But it's called Office Space, where there's a character named Milton, and there's a situation in the film where someone takes his stapler. All right. <laughs> Maybe someone other than you will laugh at that. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, it's not because of that. I, I think I kind of covered the question already. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I just felt like, and I have felt this this way already for years and years, that there's just not much for me to gain by entering a one-on-one tournament. Yeah. I played the one-on-one tournament in 2017 at QH Land. It was a super stacked one-on-one tournament. I hadn't played one-on-one in, uh, at least in tournaments since 2011, which was a Q8 slam as well. Um, I don't exactly know why I joined, because mm-hmm. I had already decided that I wouldn't play. Then just in the morning when I woke up, I just told BBS that, yeah, sign me up. Uh, I hated every minute of it. I, I really hated the tournament. It was super stacked. But when I enter a tournament, uh, although this time in 2017, I had this ment- mentality that like, I knew that I shouldn't win because, and I shouldn't expect myself to win because I hadn't played one-on-one in six years. Uh, but still, I, I just don't feel like entering competitions with that kind of mentality. I always want to win i always try to win and then it just becomes super stressful yeah because especially in online tournaments uh what happens is that i just start practicing i just use kind of like all my time for one-on-one just to kind of like even if i feel that i have a 99 percent probability to win i want to get rid of that one percent 
and just that makes me practice, practice, practice. I will never get rid of that 1% or 10% or whatever the percentage might be. But it, it's just so stressful for me. And then it also feels like there is nothing, not much for me to gain. Even if I win, it, it won't change much. But then if I lose, I will feel like shit about it. So sure, you could call me, call that I'm afraid of losing, but just there can be a bit of that as well. But it's mostly just that I I don't enjoy it anymore. And too often it just boils down to these mechanical fights. And it's just not very interesting for me. Well, are there any maybe up and coming or other players that have maybe gone away and would come back perhaps that or teams even that you would really like to have the chance to do that like test your skill against again well teams for sure yeah. like i would love to play against every every good team that has existed yeah over the history of quake world like i'm always ready to play four and four i i like to play mixed games with very one-sided teams where I'm teamed up with three relatively weak players or the like three weakest players on the servers team, teaming up with me and facing whoever joins the server. It's fine for me. And I would love to play against any any Division One team, yeah. any champion team in, in Quake World that has ever existed. That is something I really love to do. But just one-on-one is what I don't like. Not even if I could, okay, say I could give you a time machine and you could go back and play Thresh for John Carmack's Ferrari. Like you wouldn't. <laughs> well, that just wouldn't be fair. <laughs> I mean, no. Thresh had had a year of practice, maybe maybe less Yeah. When, when he won that Ferrari in 97. So it just wouldn't be a fair competition. It just wouldn't make any sense in that way. And I have played since 97. Um, and I just feel like I have played against pretty much all the players that I wanted to play against. I know how good or bad they were, and some I lost, some I won. I feel content with my one-on-one okay. history. That's fine, man. You you decide yeah. what you want to do. It's your life. Yeah. I'll uh, see next. The next question they asked me to ask you. Oh, like so, have you played the like a lot of the newer quakes, like Quake Champions and all that? I saw you playing Apex before this. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just playing Apex. Um, newer games. Quake Champ. Yeah. I haven't played much. I have to say, mm, I played Quake Two when it was released. Yeah. Not much online though, but just like I have played the single player, mm-hmm. a bit of the multiplayer as well. I played Action Quake Two. It's it's a, this kind of realistic in a way like movie realistic uh mod for quake 2 that it's that an is an excellent, excellent really fun yeah mod. yeah yeah i love it i was playing it with when i had back in the day when i had a modem and somehow it felt quite good with a modem compared to quake world so that's why i was playing quite a bit of quite a bit of uh action quake 2 uh quake 3 i never really had a computer for quake 3 before it it was kind of already too late to play it mm-hmm. everyone else was so far ahead of me and moreover it just felt like a really horrible game <laughs> i like I, I i totally appreciate the game yeah i 
I respect good Quake 3, Quake Live, one-on-one players, all players, but it's just a game that I hate play. Yeah. It it just drives many Quake World players so nuts, the lack of air control, railgun, but especially the lack of air control. It just feels like playing in a tank. Yeah. It just... You just can't move like you can in Quake World. And I think that drove most Quake World players away from Quake 3 and Quake Live, which is quite similar, especially when it comes to movement. So those I I have played, I know most of the maps. I have spectated a lot. I have enjoyed the QuakeCon tournament, spectating them. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of great games there, a lot of great bl- players, but it's just not a game for me. I t- what it about drives me nuts. like CPMA or like Warsaw, um, anything like that? I I played Warsaw a bit. Yeah. There was especially one server that I enjoyed that was the uh, using the special mod A-Gun game, which was Instagib with all the weapons. So that, like, uh, I don't remember if you got a new weapon after every kill or was it, like, every second kill or somehow you gained the better weapons. And I love the movement in Warsaw. It's just amazing. You can fly around the maps. And then when you had Instagib LG, it it was just carnage. It somehow reminded me of Quake World. But I, I never took it very seriously. I just loved that one server. I played a couple of one-on-ones, but Again, there they had their specialists there, uh, so good with the movement, and I never just felt like putting in the time to play one-on-one there. And the team play scene felt like was absolutely dead in Warsaw. Yeah. So even though I liked the game, I would have loved to play four and four CTF maybe, but it just felt like it wasn't there. At least. It felt like Quake World was way more active wow. back then. Tables and probably, yeah. So, well, I don't know. Do you think Warsaw is alive no. now? Warfork just came back. Like, they released it on oh. Steam as Warfork, and it's growing a lot. Like, I don't know if it's okay. just the new game hype. I, I talked Loctar into playing against me, and I actually was beating his ass until he got the LG, mm. and, then, and then he kicked my ass. Nice. But, <laughs> no, nah, it's fun. No, it's yeah. really cool. Uh, it's like Quake World. Uh, you you have the benefit of living in you know Scandinavia, so you guys kind of always have at least that niche group of like active players. North America it yeah. died for a long time. Warsaw yeah. has yeah. been objectively pretty dead for a while, and it's really yeah. exciting to see it come back with Warfort. So, yeah, that's really interesting. I have to look it up. Yeah, and it's, it's free on other Steam. games. Well, Quake Champions. I did play it for maybe half a year. Mm-hmm. pretty actively even um it was just for fun like it, it again was very difficult for me to take it seriously yeah. but i played it because finally i was able to play against all these legendary quake 3 quake live players not not the american ones but here in europe like er- almost everyone was playing like who quake champions uh cypher kilson cooler everyone was there so it was just a lot of fun to just queue for one-on-one then suddenly play against one of the legendary players i was able even able to 
win some of those, it, which, was, it, which was surprising. Uh, the game kind of died for me when... Well, it finally died when they removed 2-on-2 two two from the ranked, yeah. ranked queue. So we were playing with another uh, Quakeworld player from Finland called Hell. We were just playing the 2-on-2s two for fun. We had fun with it. Then they removed it. And people were complaining about it. And when it came back, then the players just <laughs> had gone already. Maybe switched games or whatever. So that went there. And also, one-on-one died when they started nerfing the CPMA movement characters. Well, I know that they, they didn't have exactly CPMA movement, but I guess that is the closest thing you could compare them to. Meaning anarchy and sore like. Yeah. Yeah. So when they started nerfing those, I stopped liking one on one. And ah, I forgot also, they nerfed the rocket a lot. They nerfed the speed of the rocket, which made it (laughs) even more difficult for me to compete there. But when it lasted, it was fun. I liked it. I remember the day that they updated the rocket I, I remember how i felt that day and it was just like soul training yeah like for me it was as well i i, I was telling this finnish friend of mine hell that just wait for the next patch like every, every time before a patch came out i told him yeah. that just just wait it will be one step closer to quake live and it just kept happening kept happening all the time like one Sometimes small, sometimes a bit bigger step at a time. It just got closer to Quake Live. And now we have, uh, we got rid of the round-based one-on-ones. We have time-based one-on-ones. And many of the weapons are very similar to what we have or had. I don't know how you want to say in Quake Live. Even the SNG got the plasma gun skin. You, It's just... It just slowly got there. And that is what I have been criticizing id Software about for a long time, that ever since they released Quake 3, they, in many interviews as well, they have said that that is like the the game that they are most proud of, at least when it comes to arena FPS games. And they have redone Quake 3 quite a few times. Quake 4 played quite quite similarly to Quake Live. Then uh sorry, Quake 3. Then they released Quake Live, which was basically Quake 3 in a browser with some modifications to weapon weapon balance and whatnot. Then we have Quake Champions, which was very different at first. And now slowly we have gone closer to Quake Live again. It's not quite there. It's not or it's not quite Quake 3, but it's still Pretty close in many ways. At least closer to Quake 3 than I would like. Because like I said earlier, I never fancied Quake 3 much. So if, hypothetically, let's say Quake Champions does uh, die, which could very well be the case. I don't want it to be, but it could. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Hell was giving me the numbers. Let me, let me check. Uh, <laughs> Quake Champions had 287 players online. Quake Live had 141. Mm-hmm. That is super sad. I don't want it to die either because yeah. I enjoy watching the competitive games, even with all the bugs, which are very annoying. Yeah. But 
I enjoy watching it. I don't want it to die, but with the level of support and development they have for the game, uh, I'm surprised if the servers are not going down within the next year. I think after the Quake Pro League, a lot of people have said after yeah. the Quake Pro League wraps yeah, up, that exactly. might be it. Do you, uh, so there's been some rumblings around, uh, online about perhaps machine games who made like the Wolfenstein remakes, uh, possibly doing a full on Quake remake. And, and I mean, like original Quake, Lovecraft Quake. Okay. If, if they do that and then they were to implement a PvP, how would you want it to be? Would you want it to like kind of replicate Quake World in a lot of ways with like better um, graphics or what would what would attract I, you? I I I wouldn't really like it to be mm. like this bastardized version of Quake World because it it would just feel wrong. I can imagine that for many people, Quake champions, even though I say that it feels like Quake 3 in many ways. But I think the Quake 3 players feel like Quake Champions is kind of kind of like a raped version of Quake 3. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I, I... Because Quake World for me is almost perfect. There are maybe some things that I could fix, you know, like if I could just decide what Quake World is like, then there are some things that I might change. But other than that, it's quite perfect for me. So I can imagine how they could make it nearly as good in in a re in a remake. So I would like it to have some like the best qualities of Quake World, but still to make it different enough mm. for it to feel fresh. Because if I want to play Quake World, I will always want to play the same thing that I love, like with the very same feeling, exact same graphics, movement, mouse feel. I want it all to be there. And if I'm playing a new game, I know that it will never be the same. If it's not using the same Quake engine, it's not going to feel like the same game. So I would very much welcome the movement physics, the way items work, the way map control works. I because that just makes the Quake World foreign for so amazing. I don't care about one on one in Quake World. I think it's actually worse in Quake World than it is Quake Live. I'm not sure about Quake Champions. Maybe even worse than in Quake Champions, but at least worse than in Quake Live. I think Quake Live one on one is deeper than Quake World one-on-one. But four and four, there's no contest. Quake World is just so so amazingly fun when you just put in a bit of effort to learn it. It's just such a perfect game. So there there would be a lot to learn from Quake World four and four. And those things I would love to see in the remake, but also enough differences to make it feel fresh. So it wouldn't make me feel like I'm playing this kind of dumbed-down version of the quote. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is the last question from right. Spaced. Um, do you have do you have like a favorite or like a, a toughest match or anything like that that you remember over the years? Yeah. 
I remember <laughs> a lot of games. Mm -hmm. uh, to pick only one, it would be very difficult. Um, there is, there was a dual tournament in 2004. It was called Dual Mania Finland. Mm -hmm. uh, it was played right after Dual Mania 3 that I won. And then the idea was that each country capable would arrange their own Dual Mania tournaments. And the best players from each country would then play in a bigger, like in this kind of championship tournament called Dual Mania True Masters. So I I made my way to from the winner's bracket to the Dual Mania Finland final and faced a Finnish player called Gamer, played in Slackers and Kof. Um And I ended up losing the first best of five game, three to two, and then made my way back because I, I came from the winner's bracket. He needed to win two games in a row. Because he came from the loser's bracket. It was a double elimination tournament. So I managed to win the second second game 3-2. to two. So 100 minutes of one-on-one -on -one won by the closest of margins. That is a game that I will remember for a long time. It was, it was a huge battle. And then I ended up not playing in the True Masters tournament. Because I felt like I had burned out. With one on one already back then, I took a break for some years from one on one, and well, you you know the rest. I told you, so that is a game that I remember. Um, then there are I tend to remember the losses quite well as well. There is the brutal four and four tournament that we lost uh, at Q8 Slam in 2011. We hadn't lost almost any games leading to this tournament and slackers was there our biggest competitor back then and i guess our rivals um our nemesis you could say <laughs> and we destroyed them quite handily in the group game then in the final we lost the first two maps it, it was best of five as well still even after losing two maps we felt absolutely confident because we just our confidence levels were through the roof. We won the two next two maps. It was 2-2. Then ended up losing the last map. Um, I remember we played E1-M2 as the decider. It was really close. Uh, we were all stacked at rocket launcher. I just told everyone that I will take the rocket. Everyone else should just hide. Because I knew that because we didn't have any weapons at that time. It was enemy quad as well. I just told everyone to stay there so they wouldn't feed the enemy team with frags. I took the rocket, jumped to the crossing area in E1M2. Murdoch came from the quad, just shot a quad rocket in my face, and that was game over. So we lost 2-3. to three. That, is, that is a game that I will remember for a long time. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, not, not the victories so much. Um, Perhaps also the uh, 2017 QH LAN one-on-one -on -one tournament. Uh, I told you that I hadn't played one-on-one -on -one for six years. 
I wanted to win. I always played to win, but I honestly couldn't expect to win. And especially when I saw this uh, Brazilian monster GT destroying Locust, who is a really good Swedish one-on-one player. So GT beat him 3-0. to zero. So And I knew that I would face GT next. I was absolutely sure that I, I, I just couldn't beat GT in any way. I ended up winning 3-0, to zero, then made it to the final. There was recall waiting for me, me in the final. He hadn't lost almost any tournaments within the next uh, within the past five years or whatever. Yeah, he he had won most of them. I ended up winning. Uh, the first map was Aerowalk. I won it twenty-seven to zero. He didn't die once. Then DM two, I died only after seven minutes. So I played seventeen minutes against Recall without dying a single time. And I lost a very tight DM6. It was a really good game. I could talk about one small detail, but maybe we can skip it. And then ended up winning set TN DM3 after being down by... I even had negative frags. I don't remember the exact score, but I think I was down by four, five, or six frags. I don't remember exactly. But I had minus one. Maybe Rico had three or four. Anyway was able to make a comeback and with the tournament. That that is quite recent, but perhaps something that I will remember for some some time. Because I didn't expect to win there. Um that was one of the best series of matches I've ever like had the experience to watch, honestly. I really loved that QH Land twenty seventeen is kind of what put Quake World on the map uh, for me. Like I'd never really All right paid a lot of attention to it. So I had a lot of yeah. fun watching that. And then yeah, that's good to hear. And I had no context of who you guys were either, you know. Uh Right. God I didn't really I didn't have a preconceived notion of like who Milton was or anything. I I thought Recall was new when I when I saw that. I was right. like, "Oh wow, this yeah. like this younger guy has kind of risen to the top." I, I had no perception. And then over time I kind of like went back and got the details and looked everything yeah. up. Well, the the funny thing is that Back in 2009, 2010, Recall mm-hmm. was the new kind of new guy. He he started playing when he was um, quite young, and yeah. uh, I don't remember exactly when, but I think in the 90s even he played for a while, but then took a long, long break, and then came back like a decade later. And I remember playing him. I played Recall a lot. Like he would come always and play DM4 against me, and he didn't care that he lost by seventy frags, by fifty frags, then maybe by forty. But he would just grind the hell out of the game, and eventually he became really good. And he's one of the very few one-on-one players that I think has actually mastered one-on-one as well. I think. Like when I watch Recall play, or let's say, let's put it this way: when I watch most players play Quake World one on one, still I feel like they are lacking things when it comes to strategy and tactics. Yeah, I can point out mistakes quite often. Uh, they might have better aim than I than I have. They might move better. They might know tricks that I don't. But 
still I can point out like this almost fundamental mistakes. But when I watch Recall, it almost never happens. Like Recall plays, in my opinion, almost like the perfect game. That's why I was very surprised that I was able to beat him. Because I felt like Recall uh, had the better aim. Probably not the better movement, but that in one-on-one perhaps doesn't matter that much. But I felt like he had the better aim, especially with LG. Perhaps not with Rocket, but with LG. And LG is really important. So knowing how he plays this kind of very systematic, very good one-on-one game and facing him, I like. I felt like I didn't have the like fundamental strategy edge against him like I have against other players. I know that I can work around my shortcomings in my LG aim against most players, but against Recall, it just felt like I shouldn't be able to do it, maybe. Yeah. And I, I just started doing my thing and suddenly it worked. I, I don't quite know how it went the way it did, but I'm happy it did. But Recall, it, it, he's an excellent one player for sure. One of the best. I, I would say, like, I, I don't want to rate myself. Like, I don't want to put myself anywhere. Other people can decide if I'm the best or not. I'll do but... it for you. You're number one. All right. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, if I count myself out, Rickle is yeah. hands down the best player in one-on-one that I have seen. Not in four-on-four, but in one-on-one for sure. <sighs> that was great, man. I think we've gotten enough of your time. I want to let you go. All right. It's been an hour and a half. It was a lot of fun. You've been awesome. We'll have you again sometime. Talk about whatever right. the hell you sure. want. Because I feel like I could just keep you going forever. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, I'm not usually a very outspoken guy, yeah. uh, quite introverted. But when it comes to Quake, I can talk for days. It's it's what I have been doing for well over two decades. And it's it's just what I love and it's it's a subject that I know I know quite well. Yeah. So I feel very confident talking about it. You're an expert, man. You're you're the top dog. You're the, you're the black belt master of Quake, so Yeah, yeah. In in this I am. <laughs> Maybe in nothing else, but in Quake I do know. Well, thank you very much for your time. I'll uh check in with you thank again. Thank you for having me. Soon. Yep. See you around. All right. Thank you.